0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador. Episode number 275. Whew, that's a lot of talking. Um, today's episode, I am finally going to do what I promised I would do sometime back, and that is begin to address preparation for, and in, in today's, uh, a master level test. Now, this is, can apply. Uh, certainly, it's basically aimed at AKC. Uh, but it applies to APLA and it applies other than there's a little bit, you know, you're shooting a gun in HRC and, and and since I am not vastly experienced in that, I'm not going to address that. But a lot of the things would apply to any dog at a finished level, uh, getting ready to go run those, particularly if you haven't done it very much. Uh, there's just some things to think about. Assuming that your dog is trained where you can run marks, multiple marks, and your dog handles well and Understands steady and all of that. Okay. That's the fundamental assumption here that we're going to talk about but how do you if you're getting ready next spring or Next spring and you want to run at the highest level of these things How what what do you need to know and how do you want to prepare? And for a lot of the specific training things, I'm going to refer back to the when you train alone, because there's a lot of, you know, just just building up basic skills of marking well and handling well and then beginning to put complicated things together. But very specifically in mind, I, I, I want to talk about um, preparing for a finish level. And even, you know, to a degree field trials, except now we got... Incredible distance and white coats and retired and guns that retire, so I'm not I'm not going to address that. But a lot of these principles are still the same. Now I know anymore there are becoming more and more dog retriever based uh, podcasts out there. A lot of good people doing a lot of good good podcasts generally what people are most comfortable doing and do when they talk to you is they isolate a specific element uh that goes into these things and tells you how to prepare to do this or you know it's a kind of a how-to thing and and that's important but what i'm gonna uh, and i always have to do everything kind of different because i just don't think that way i mean i do have the how-to but but before you start finishing stuff off you really want to build up from the start so I, I'm going to just say some some interesting things. When you want to get ready to, well I assume they're interesting, at least intriguing to think about. When you get ready to or, or planning on running a master, the first thing that a lot of people tend to do is start looking for, okay they generally have triples, sometimes they have quads, so and then they get ready and then they have this kind of a thing and they have poison bird blinds. So how do I how do i you know train for a poison bird blind so the f- the first thing i'm going to say in preparing for these things isn't to pre- prepare for the specific somebody tells you they do poison bird blinds and they sometimes they do quads and sometimes they do you know whatever and so everybody rushes to train for that and i'm going to say don't start there instead of training for specific things that'll happen you want to train first for specific responses in your dog. And, and what do I mean by that? So all the things that there are, are that we can talk about, all the stuff that they do, they can have things that are uh, poison bird blinds, right? That's where, and a poison bird blind, in case somebody doesn't know what it is, is where they see a mark go down, and sometimes more than one, but they don't get that. They go and get a blind first and then they have to come back and remember the marks So the poison you know it's a poison thing it makes the blind real hard because they want to go get the mark and, and there's a, a zillion things and I'll bet you there's podcasts over there to tell you how to do all those things but what you need to go into all of that is a dog that has those fundamental things that I always talk about one the dog marks well you need to have that and you get that by doing a lot of different kind of marks and understanding what you're setting up and getting the dog where they have the skill of marking a very difficult single really well first okay that's very important the other thing that you have to have is a dog which handles well right when you tell them to go they go and when you blow your sit whistle they stop and they wait however long okay no auto casting you know don't want to run the high level things with your dog auto casting. you have a half a second window when they're spinning around looking at you to throw up an arm in a direction in hopes that they take that what you need is a dog that blows you blow the sit whistle they turn around sit down and they look at you so you need that kind of thing and a dog that does understand well thought out casts okay that's very important part of that and again this is on my training by yourself thing I said I hope everyone does train by themselves there's very a great deal of value in that but that's where you learn what kind of cast to give your dog when they're on the side of a hill and you're trying to get a slight angle back (laughs) you know what do they do on the side of a hill what do they do when they're right next to cover do they dive right in all the time or do they never want to dive in You have to learn on the very simple things, what kind of cast your dog needs, what their response is, what's their, what is their uh, impact, what's the impact on the dog with wind. You know, some dogs are very good in wind, some dogs are very subject to wind, so all of those things need to be known, and that's by the just paying a lot of attention to your dog. And... And just learning how you know what cast they take that's all deal just because your dog can do a triple does not mean they can do a triple with a heavy crosswind when they could actually smell where the blind is going to be planted on their way to another mark I mean there's just because they can do a triple doesn't mean you can pass this stuff there's a lot of elements that you need in there once you have your fundamentals the dog marks well and the dog handles well then you want to begin to show them things though that they may or may not see. Now, I have several pieces to this. So this is sort of, this is piece number two. Piece n- number one is have your fundamentals. Marks well, handles well. Can run any single in the world almost. Have that present, okay? Then when you have that, you want to start showing them things. And instead of, tell me what the last master, what, what do they have in there? What should I go set up? man there's a billion and seven of those deals so what you want to do is is go go ahead and listen to everybody but what you want to do is kind of group that in a bigger in a bigger perspective so in other words you could have uh marks in an upper level thing that are very close to one another um sometimes fairly you know appropriately close and sometimes kind of stupidly too close and whether you agree with it or like it or not or have done it they they will have marks that are close together and so and they can be close together you know side by side they can be when you run at one you can the other one is just past it there's a lot of ways they can be close together if you just think about it but you want to acquaint your dog teach them teach them how to run marks that are close together and again in that training by yourself thing I talked about that you know you have your wingers or whatever you have out there and (laughs) And then you, you know, you throw one and have them do that as a single. And then you throw the other one close to it and have them do that. And you occasionally set that kind of thing up with different kinds of closeness. It could be side by side. It could be one deeper than the other. It could be that kind of thing. Or they can actually smell the short one on the way to the long one. Or they can smell the long one on the way to the short one. There's a lot of elements to that. And you want to teach that. Not correct for that. But teach when things are very are very close together, you can have uh, what I would call a stacked view also. So you can have two two marks that are close together, and when they can do two singles, then you can even have a third single. You can and, and don't obviously you can't be silly and throw them all within 20 feet of each other, but practice having things that are you know more a little closer than you're real comfortable with, so that you know your dog can do it. Then when I say a stacked view, that's where you have marks that are kind of one is behind the other, or maybe even another behind that. So in the view of the dog, it's all happening kind of down this one corridor. Now, again, whether you like that or not, or agree with it, or train with that, it can be nice to have, you know, one winger close, throwing one way, and another winger kind of behind it, and throwing the other way, or... Throwing some way so that there's a corridor and the proximity is by virtue of going deeper. They don't have to be exactly right behind one another, That's, it, but they can be. So the stacked view where something is close and something's far, teach your dog how to look at that and not be worried and how to handle it. Um, often, I would set up with my dogs, I would set up a short mark and a long mark. That was directly in line with the short mark. And I, I did it, of course, by teaching. First we get the short mark as a single. Then we get the long mark as a single. And we'll do that on another day or in another place. Short mark as a single. Long mark as a single. And then when it seemed like they were getting that comfortably, do the double. Long thrown, then the short throw. So they go get the short one and then they turn right back around and go right over the top of that. That's a tot thing. If you don't tell them it's okay to run over the old fall when you're on your way to another one, you can't stop and hunt, obviously you're out for that. So you practice those kind of things. Part of that is, part of what I'm talking about is, after you teach them how to deal with things that are out there that could be intimidating well they don't know they're intimidating unless they get in trouble for stuff particularly when they don't understand what they got in trouble for which is generally the problem then you get mad when they do it again and then you wonder why the whole training session went to heck so just do a lot of teaching we got a long time till next spring so do a lot of teaching so they get comfortable seeing things in a kind of a proximity whether it's side by side or stacked or whatever that's a real good thing to practice. Another thing and this is going to seem kind of counterintuitive when you're doing marks and blinds together which is a thing you can do by yourself you want to teach the dog that you, you go to the mark you saw even if you smell uh, something else. Now these are hunting dogs they are to honor their nose And when we do upland with them, they are to honor their nose. However, they have enough mental sophistication to learn. When we're playing the dog games and when I send you on a mark and you smell something off to the side, you still continue with what we're working on. We'll come back and take care of that other thing later. So you teach them to run to the long mark when they smell the short mark going by. Okay, You teach that. And again, one of the ways I like to teach those things is having buckets of birds at every station and run them by a station they can smell onto the mark that they single that they just saw go off. So after they do the fundamentals well, you begin to put them together. Okay, now run this mark even when you smell something that's, that's odd. Now don't make it. You, you have to make sure that it's, it's distinctly different. It's not just 10 feet deep of what they're, where they're going. But they can smell a mark on their way to another mark, and they continue to do that. And that's not by correcting them and getting after them. It is by teaching them. Now, you might have to handle, you know, and if they, if they refuse to, to respond to your cast, then you do what you do if, when they re- don't take a cast. You know, it's an indirect pressure on set, and get them back to that. And it's a teaching thing without a lot of horror and screaming and people getting mad. That That's... Mm that's a kind of important. So there's a lot of things like that. Um, and and I'll say this. So once you get that, and there's a lot of that kind of stuff, but the, the concepts, you don't have to have run a hundred masters to know, you know, I, sometimes I'll have to run by the scent of something to something else on a multiple mark anywhere. Somebody could send it up the test up where it's not that way. And then the wind switches, and then it is that way. And you're going to be a lot better off if your dog can handle that kind of disadvantaged situation. And you do it by teaching them. Always go where I send you, no matter what. And the the what can be a lot of things, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. So that's, you know, that's a real important stuff. Now, in carrying out marks and blinds at finished levels of things, it's not always where the two of you walk up to this particular, wherever the line is, this particular spot, where you walk up there, and then when you're all ready, and the dog's all ready, then you signal, and then it goes off, and then you send them. Kate, sometimes in tests, that doesn't happen, and there can be a variety of things. I'll always read the rules so they if you see something that's, that, what they allow, you know and if they they can allow anything that they don't say they don't allow in there so always read the rules so you know but you can have remote sense you can have in a master hunter you can have your dog in front of the holding blind and you're behind it you know i've run masters where the honor dog and the working dog were in front of the blind and the two handlers were behind the blind and the honor dog had to stay there and the working dog had to go you know, and I first time I ever did that, I had, I had never trained that. <laughs> I was like, fortunately, you know, I had the sit mean sit thing, so it, it worked out for me on a dog that was, you know, just wrapping up, finishing up stuff. He was pretty good. Maybe with a young one, it wouldn't have gone quite so well on that stuff, but you can be have remote starts. And so you don't, you know, you don't want, like I did on that one, it's like, I've never done this before. Fortunately, again, when you have the fundament the responses in, you always have to build the responses. When I say sit, that's it, man. I don't care what else <laughs> happens. Sit really needs to mean sit. And that's kind of what got me through when I had to do my dogs on that. But then I've, I learned that, that was a long time ago, you know, I learned, okay, sometimes have them away from me, where... Uh, We can still, you know, just it's not like you're not standing next to me. I can't function. So you need to occasionally, not a lot, but have them be able to handle something when it's not under the identical situation that you always train in. I have had remote blinds on one master. I We had to set our dogs down, come out of the holding line, set them down in the middle of a bunch of goose decoys, and then there was a gunshot somewhere. And then we had to run the blind from, I was on the line, the dog was in the decoys. And again, if you, and I just blew the sit whistle, like I had done a billion times and then cast. And fortunately they took it because the basics were so, but I had never done that either. when <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, this is different. So I've had remote starts on, on working dog, on a, you know, running the marks and I've had remote starts on blinds that can happen so what you basically what I'm saying is, don't necessarily you must go practice that but be aware that what you do all the time in training may not be what you do at a hunt test you know and I know HRC has a lot of real creative things that goes on um, and you know maybe we'll go that way in the APLA as it is it gets more and more competitive but have your dog go on a mark or go on a blind whether they're right at your side or not That's just a really useful thing uh, to have on that. Um, Speaking of unexpected things, that can happen, that happens all the time. Again, when you train a certain way, especially when you train alone a lot, but when you train a certain way or your training group trains a certain way and you got gunners out in the field, gunning stations, you got blinds, you walk out of the holding blind up to the line, signal, you do all that stuff. Okay, run the marks, run the blinds. We even get exotic, do a poison bird blind run, run the marks. But sometimes things that don't normally happen can happen in a hunt test. You can have, uh, your dog is on the way to a blind, you're running a blind, you know, so you send them and, and they're on their way to a blind and a bird gets launched and a gun goes off, off to their side where they can see it from 50 yards or 100 yards or whatever out there. They can see it now you have to finish the blind that does happen you can also have uh, the dog coming back from a blind I've had that and a bird is launched off to the side and they see it right and but they have to come back with the blind bird and then run the mark now because they marked it from a completely different perspective out there I don't you're not necessarily judged on that mark I mean you may have to handle because it doesn't look the same from 50 yards out looking backwards than it does 50 yards on the line looking forwards so you do probably have the you know I mean unless the judge is insane they're gonna give you the handle on that but your dog has to finish what they started so many times and there's probably all kinds of variations of that where the way you normally do things isn't the way that they are doing it in the test And then everybody gets real upset and then they train on it for the next month, right? And then you don't see it again for three years or ten years or something. The greater point is to have the thought in your dog's mind that I got to do what it is I always do on this. But I know there's another bird out there, so, you know, let's see what happens. Now, you don't, please, anybody listening to this, understand. That doesn't mean go out and start doing all kind of crazy, chaotic things in your training. When you're training, you're always teaching. You're always teaching. The greater importance here is to teach your dog, if I send you on a blind, we will finish the blind. Or if I send you on a mark and something else happens, we will finish the mark. You know, and for the master of field in the APLA, and you're an up upland field, um, you know, stuff can happen and you need to finish what you're doing before you go on to the other thing. Unless you point on the way back from a retrieve and then you got to finish the second point before you do all the retrieves. So, um, just be aware that your dog needs to have a real ethical, clear understanding. I Always do what you say, even when something happens that I'm not expecting. Now, I'm going to take that a step further. Now, I wouldn't go out and train a bunch on that, but every now and then, you know, you could start when they're... When they're coming back on a, on a blind, you know, you can throw a hand thrown from where you are. Have them come back and it's kind of a diversion thing. But, but you can do that to get them, begin to get them used to that. But those kind of things can happen in the upper level deals. Now, other things can happen too. Things that you don't like or don't want. And I'll give you an example. You can have all of a sudden the gunner at one of the stations out there when you're running an event get up and stretch and start loading the winger while your dog's out there and now you have two options you can whine and complain and blame the winger and the guy and all that stuff or you can have your dog just believe they need to finish what they've started and even if there's some commotion or something going on they still do what they're supposed to even if a gun goes off yes even if a gun goes off right in the middle of it they may sit down and look around uh but then call them on back to you or have them finish what they were doing instead of just responding to new stimulus. You may have, when when uh, my two kids were young and we'd be training at home, the, the kid, when they were little, like three and six and all the way, out, you know, until they were, you know, too big to go out and do that stuff, we let them wander right through the test. You would have little kids that would be wandering out to one of the stations to talk to whoever was out there and then somewhere else, right in the middle of the test while we were doing the training. Not a test, but training. So that something kind of walking around in the middle of stuff was a non-factor. Little kids were great for that. Now, they couldn't throw anything or call the dog, but they knew that. They were just wandering around out there so that the dogs just finish the mark or finish the blind and don't pay attention to some weird thing that's going on out there. Or if there's a noise or something like that. Very nice to get them. That way you don't have the eruptions and the complaining at a test. Because, you know, well, I didn't have this or somebody walked over there or somebody said something loud in the gallery. The nice thing to do is just have your dog where they just do what they're supposed to kind of regardless. So I'll say another thing then on that. So when you're running a hunt test, um, they they may have somebody behind you, the judges blow a duck call, which is the signal to the first gun to go off to to quack and shoot and throw they could so you could have duck calls behind you they could have you do a duck call and you know your dog's going like what are we duck anyway <laughs> like what kind of yeah um or they may have a, a duck call out there or everyone has been getting a duck call all morning on the series and then you got a guy out there that forgot he was supposed to do it and you didn't get a duck call okay So again, you can complain and gripe about that and have that upset your dog because they're always used to a duck call. Or you just have them looking out there for the mark and then they go get it. You might have, you know, normally you have guns or some kind of noise when you're training, always on a test. Except sometimes the gun malfunctions, right? So sometimes you don't have a gun. And again, you can complain and say, oh, I didn't have a gun. It wasn't fair. Oh, you can do all that or you can have it where your dog doesn't, still knows they go get a mark even without a gun. A lot of times in training, I would have two stations have guns and not a third one. And they're all the same, weighted the same. You gotta go get each one of those things, whether they have a gun or not, or or a duck call or not, or nothing. Well, you gotta have some in AKC and APLA, you will have some sound out there. Um, And so you gotta have something. But you don't always have, there's no gun, your dog didn't see it. So in other words, teach your dog to do the mark regardless of how the mechanics have worked on that. Okay, let's talk about water. So we all know your dog is water forced. They get in the water, they know what it is. So you may, um, uh, however you train, you may have a certain couple of ponds you use. And you're always up within about 20 feet of them and doing something. Well, you might be... 20 feet you might be two feet you might be 75 feet so for one you don't want to make how far you are from the water make any difference if we're 75 feet or 100 whatever back from the water and i point you at the water get in the water that's not a hard thing to train um so make sure they do that you some places will have re-entries because of the water, you're up and out on a either a peninsula, point, an island, or just the bank to the next pond and they have to get back in. Right? Sometimes the, the bird is at the edge. That's actually hard. Those edge birds are hard. Uh, it could be in the water. It could be 50 feet out of the water. So make sure that all of that, you know, and if you don't have that in training, go find something. Where a re-entry, because at the higher levels, you're going to have re-entries whenever the tests are being held. You know, on a technical pond or where there's multiple small ponds or whatever. So, water shouldn't be one concept in their mind. It's like, when I'm pointed at it, regardless of distance, I get in and I keep going. And if I get out, I get back in again. That's a, a thing that needs to be taught. You may, you can, you know, obviously teach your dog to do by the, be by the edge of the water not get out shoreline blind everybody that should be in training you should be able to teach your dog and I find this very important to, to take that biggest piece of water all the way to the end you know in other words you're gonna you got a big swim now generally in tests they don't do it but if you, I've had some masters that were on a the bird was on a rat trap that on their way out into the lake and so a lot of dogs, they couldn't, they couldn't get them to go out into the lake because I, I never do that. I'm always over here by the edge. So it, it really helped to have a dog that went, here we go. And thinks, and I, I'm not sw- saying swim them across a lake. But wherever pond or body of water you have, and there's a lot of places where you could get out, you'd shoreline, you'd get out. Have them just take all the water to the end, as long as it's reasonable. And then come back all the way to the, the, through the water. Having them not afraid to take a lot of water is really useful. Another thing at the high levels, and I've had, I haven't had this a lot, but I have had it. Uh, And I've had it at lower levels when the judges didn't know what they were doing. But they would have a blind or a mark alongside the water, but on the land, no water in it at all. And so when you have a well-trained dog and you're close to the water, they pretty much know where they're supposed to be. Um, you know, if they're, and so it's really hard to run. I, I remember many, uh, double, when they have to do a double blind and one is on land, rest right along the shore on the land. And then one's right along the shore in the water. But you got to be able to get them to not get in the water. If you tell them that. So believe it or not, that's another thing I like to, I don't like to do that a lot because basically it's, we're by water, get in water. But sometimes at the higher levels, you have to have them where, you know, they don't have to get in the water. Okay, another part of that is different kind of guns. Some people, some tests use Max Blasters, the shotgun simulators. Okay, those are really loud, very hard to miss. And if your dog is used to that, that makes it very easy to know there's going to be a mark out there uh, if you use pistols much less so sometimes they might not hear it or they might not be sure what they heard but they should also so in a test you could have the big blasters you could have the pistols you could have malfunctions so not only presence of gunshot or not but nature of gunshot uh, is actually um, also a factor um Gunshots nearby where you are. I have heard many, many, many people go, oh, it's terrible, another gun gun went off, and especially with our upland dogs, but I will still say, if at all possible, work your dog where there's other things going on, loud noises, a big, you know, construction site, something so that they learn to focus only on the task at hand and not tune in to a lot of extraneous, even shotguns. You know, if you have a hunting dog that that goes after every bird that gets shot no matter what that nobody would want to hunt with you (laughs) because your dog needs to work for you and other people's dog will do their work for them so make sure extraneous gunshots or noise are not a problem okay different kind of throws now wingers are really kind of the thing of the day everywhere but there's every kind of winger right so you can have wingers or people who who throw just not you know just kind of a nice arc down on the ground some of those wingers that shoot it up in the air i mean like you know you have to crane your neck looking up and it comes down very very high uh throws very huge throws some of those suckers can launch those things a long ways away from the gunning station and so no matter how difficult it may be you need to have your dog be accustomed to short throws worm burners you know have you ever had your No, I would say wife, but I can't say that because I could throw a bird almost as well as anyone. But somebody that just really has a hard time getting the bird above head level (laughs) and sometimes not. We always call them worm burners, right? Have your dog where a worm burner gets thrown, a low, hard to see, and you send them on it because that could happen to you. And then you can't be going, well, that's not fair. I didn't have a high enough. You know, just have your dog used to a a lot of different throws on that. Birds. I'm gonna talk about birds. So when you're running tests, if you run a 60 dog master uh, in a, in AKC or a great big APLA test, right? And let's say you got a, they did, you, you had at least 50 dogs going in the water, right? So you got ducks that have been in the water a lot with multiple dogs, multiple times, ducks they're soaked they're terrible they're awful they have like one feather almost hanging above the water it's really nice to have a dog that's used to that so i would always always train it's really nice to have fresh flyers that's just nice nice when you're throwing them and nice when your dog's getting them and, and all that but in a hot test on sunday afternoon you might have the rankest of the rank and so and then in, in the water those hummers are just barely. Now, can a dog smell them? Yes, they can. But again, how many times I've heard people say, I failed because my dog won't pick up that kind of a duck and you can not see it. And I get that's true. So I would train with super skanky ducks. I mean, I would have my clients grumbling to me. Do I have to throw these? I have better ones. I'll bring them. Like, no, we're going to throw these. Because I want, on that Sunday afternoon, when that bird doesn't even really break the profile of the water, I want them to know it's out there, be able to locate it, mostly by smell, because they smell a lot more then, and get that bird back and not go, Ew, <laughs> this is icky. I don't, I don't really want the dog to weigh in on how they feel about the bird. I just want the bird back. And in training, use sometimes some not very good birds, and wet, soaked, icky birds that you really don't like. But make sure your dog knows that they have to get that, no matter what. Okay, a couple more things. Sent where it doesn't belong, and again, I've watched pros get all miffy over this deal. So say you got some kids that you know the the 4-H kids are helped, and you give them the the bag of birds to take out to the to one of the stations, and <laughs> and there, but you look up again, they've drug it. 60 yards on the ground. Oh my goodness! Handlers will just have a cow over that. Um, you know, or s- somebody sets birds down <laughs> somewhere and then they say something and then they pick them up so there's this, you know, very loud scent for dogs. Actually in training, um, do stuff like that. Drag birds, do stuff. Have bird scent out there that is not related to the marks in the blind that you're doing. Show your dog gets used to it. A lot of people have uh, trouble with drag back. And if you train alone, drag back is really a problem. So if you're training in some cover, go over there, uh, you know, on the way to the put a fall. So they got to go through cover and on to go get it. And then set that up, set it up so that they encounter drag back. Because in a master, right? And there's 50, 60 dogs running this thing. And they're all coming back through the cover. You have ducks coming 60 times coming back through that so there's a lot of duck scent there but that's not where they're supposed to stop and hunt so obviously you'd want a gunning station when you're teaching this because you're going to teach it right you'll have a gunning station out there so clearly clearly the gunning station is relevant and you launch a single and they have to go through there and they encounter that the the duck scent you know you can eat if they just stay there and hunt you have to handle them out See if you can repeat it, do whatever works best, but teach your dog, (laughs) excuse me, teach your dog about drag back. Teach your dog. Sometimes you're out there and you smell a duck scent, but it's not where you saw the mark go down or it's not where I sent you. So continue on doing what I'm asking you to do. Again, we're back on that same theme, right? Don't use anything as as an excuse. Do what it is I'm asking you to do okay in all advanced tests you have honor dogs in field trials outside of the Derby you have honor dogs in APLA in the master in AKC in the senior in the master and in what season and finished I think over in HRC you have honor dogs so it would be nice if your dog was somewhat accustomed to what I'm gonna call an annoying honor dog (laughs) and you know if you have a training group then you you know that's something that you can do. So, in training group, instead of making it all easy, what everybody likes to do, right? You put the honor dog way over way so there's no, so that nobody messes with you. But you ought to have one honor dog right up next to you. Um, if you don't have an honor dog right up next to you, have a crate of birds right up, something that's going to be very distracting to them. But they should be used to an uh, honor dog that's very close, uh, honor dog. That if they're making noise, you know, that some of them can. If the owner's going, sit, 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 you know, that can be annoying. Uh, uh, get your dog accustomed to that. So instead of everybody in training trying to do everything perfect so nothing, nobody's set down a bird, nobody's dragged anything, the hunter dog's out of the way, they're not going to interfere, everything's all perfect. Don't all, you know, sure, some days when you need it to be perfect, do it. But some days have something in there, not all of them at one time. But have your annoying honor dog. You don't have somebody over there with their with their peek-a-poo barking and yipping. That's the honor dog. Teach your dog, no matter what this other stuff going on right by you is, just do your job. And similarly, I'll say this on the honor. Sit means sit. And it really is that simple. And if you train that way, which means... Again, I don't know how many times. Oh no, my dog always sits. And I was like, have you ever said get it? <laughs> while they're honoring? You know, what are they gonna do? The get it isn't a sin thing. So do things to have your dog to, to have your dog wish to go and wish to break so that you can enforce. Enforce it even if they're doing it. Sit needs to mean sit. Because if you're honoring and there's some crazy one of those crazy suckers up there running and they're jumping up and down and kind of making noises and the owner's talking and it's all just a high energy kind of chaotic situation and your dog's going what and they getting all wound up make sure that they know that no matter what's going on over there um, they just sit and so instead of looking for success in all of your training things find where you can cause that dog to fail and then teach them that they can't do it then either. So look for the weaker things on that. Okay, along the lines, when you train and you're doing, I don't care, three singles and then two blinds and you're, you're doing some stuff, you get in a pattern, right? You get in a, a habit and you always get the short bird and then the next longer, you know, or if you're an outside, outside, inside, if you have some kind of thing you do, you know, you practice that and you do it all the time. You, you can have things not in a test that do not, are, are not that way. Where you have to, um, there's an unexpected order. You know, they may have uh, a long flyer first. And then a, a shorter bird, dead bird over here. And then you have to go run a blind first. So it's a poison bird double. But when you come back from the blind, they throw a third bird. That you could have stuff like that. So everything's out of order. And if your dog is sitting there going, you know, what the, um, which they should, maybe a little bit. You don't want to do a lot of that stuff because then the dog, you don't get in a rhythm with the dog. Something I'm going to talk about in a minute. You don't get in a rhythm with them, but you do need to show your dog that generally we do the marks and then we do the blinds and we do the shortest one and then we go to the longest one or whatever. And sometimes we don't. Now I don't mean primary select because personally I, I have never found that to be of any use in 40 years but I don't primary select but if the flyer is the first long bird and is the first bird down that's not the first one we're going to go get even though they love flyers. Um uh, generally when you train the flyers the last bird down so you get the flyer first and then the next longest but if the flyers is the first bird and long that needs to be you know probably the last bird you pick up so make sure your dog is used to it can handle things out of the normal rhythm and normal order to which they are accustomed okay this thing's going on and i can do a, a further one on this but i want to talk about some things that are important so when you go to your test and you see where your first series land series is set up well, and you, and you again you may have birds dark ducks against dark green background particularly the further east you go or north man nah, not north dakota they don't i don't even know if they have trees but but back east you know everything is against the trees so Anytime I ever went that way, I would practice finding some trees out here and throwing birds with that as a background because that's a bit of a skill. So wherever you're going, be prepared that your marks, you know, they may be skylighted. That's great. They may be behind trees. You know, they may have a brown dirt behind them. Make sure your dog at least is accustomed to things like that when you're doing it. And wherever you go, when you get there and you see what the setup is and you see where the blind is, Look at the background the dog looks when they're looking at you when you're handling them. So back towards that. What do you have there? So is it all real dark? You know, real dark, dark stuff. And then you're in your black handling jacket. Um, you may be very hard to see. So make sure that you bring at least a little bit of an array of clothing. Yet, yeah, you know, you can't wear white stuff unless you're at a field trial. You have to wear darker or, you know, more hunting clothing. But have it so that you contrast as much as you can so you are as visible as possible i always did that i always have a set of jackets (laughs) there and whatever that dog is going to see best i'm going to go put on um and always legitimate things that they say but that's real important another thing is always have two whistles you know because if one of them gets the p gets stuck or if it's peeless, you know hornet flew in it or something it's really you know always if you ever wonder why you see people with two whistles on their lanyard it's because if something goes bad with one you've got another one because if you're right in the middle of a water blind you really don't want to not have a whistle or be trying to get the thing unstuck or whatever it is so always have um two whistles one thing that that uh we always use especially now when you run field trials and some of the blinds are four and five hundred yards long it's hard to tell especially the older you get right it's hard to tell if the dog even turned around looking at you or not but one of the things so much in hunt test we don't have quite that problem although in the master they get them out there pretty far um, one of the things is very difficult sometimes to see an orange ribbon against the green grass now I know when people are colorblind that's even worse I can't speak to colorblind so I can't say anything intelligent there but I know because one of my clients was a eyeglasses guy and he actually had sunglasses of a certain um, you know lens that you could see the orange out there much 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 better so if that is a difficulty for you there are actually glasses out there you just ask you know somebody that knows that stuff that make that orange ribbon easier to see I don't know what helps with colorblind I don't know if any of that makes a difference or not but that's another thing there's a do that if you're going to seriously be running these things in training do marks and blinds when you're doing your just set up even by yourself or in a training group do them you know you kind of have a way you do stuff or your group has a way they do stuff and you know they might be this long or you know so people like to go real long or Do stuff if you're not or go real longer. Well, I'm only running Senior Hunter. I only run APLA or whatever. I don't care. Do a 250-yard mark. There's no downside to that unless that's all you do and then they only go 250 yards out. But every now and then have some real long marks in there in case you're running a test with some longer than you think is appropriate marks and your dog has seen it before. So run long ones. If you run, you know, well, I train with the field trialers. That seems to be a bragging point for people. They do that. Great. So your dog will go 400 yards out there. Will he go 25 yards? Um, So do make sure that you have a variety and you do distances that you don't normally do because eventually you will encounter that. Um, This is tough when you train by yourself your dog if you're going to run events with other people and dogs and crowds and kids and people spectators that don't know they should not make so much noise you do need to find a way to be training your dog around the commotion of people and dogs that's why any if you can join a club or a training group uh, and don't have everybody be all perfect just all perfect is not good. I have watched people scream at other people because they said something or they were doing the winger or whatever it is. Teach your dog to do what you came to do. If there's other dogs around and there's people and there's talking. One of the things when I used to train with my dad, he would do would be, he would take, um, uh, back then we had, uh, portable radios, you know, transistor radios or whatever. And he'd put it right behind the line on a, the most heavy metal rock station he could get turned up loud. So <laughs> people have to run their dogs and do all that. With that, he learned out he did that in a horse barns to get dog, uh, horses to calm down when they had to go in the arena and stuff. And, but he did it out there and I thought that was a great idea. You know, so there's this kind of annoying commotion and sound energy that's really annoying, uh, that you're training with so that you both learn to just do the work that you came to do instead of now going, Oh, there's noise. I can't do it. Don't just, you don't have to use that uh, as an excuse at all. And when you're, and I'll say this with complete hundred percent conviction, when you are running tests that are scary or hard, sometimes they're not are, but they're still scary because if you're new to something, it's very scary. Uh, and sometimes the test is hard or difficult to figure out. I've done that in many an AKC Master Hunter. I walked up, you know, they're getting ready to run test dog. And it's like, and I see what, and I'm like, I don't need not to run this. <laughs> I don't need, I'm don't not sure what to do here. Um, because however it was set up wasn't just something that I didn't, you know, normally do. And so I wasn't real comfortable. But t- what to do in that case or any other case even if it's a real straightforward very straightforward triple you know with two blinds one up the middle and one over to the side or something I have found that the easiest way to do that is you look at you got three marks out there and I'll tell you the worst I ever did was at a field trial guys place and we had a master there and we had to pick up six birds in this one series And I I think it was mixed land water. I, I can't remember. Six birds. And it was one of those really complicated things where some marks went down, and then you picked up a blind, and then some other marks went down, and then you could pick up the marks, but you had to get a... I can't even remember. It was so complicated, and I I'd never done anything like that. Six birds, four marks, two blinds, but not, you know, all the marks go down, and then the blinds are there. It was... Uh, kind of a mixed up thing (laughs) I still remember the dogs I was running so what I did then and have always done but that got me through that was okay I got four singles out here and I've got two blinds and I do that in training a lot so I got four singles and two blinds and the order of pickup of my four singles and two blinds is going to be and I'm going to pick up you know the blind first. I'm going to run the blind first. Even though the birds went down, blind is first. Okay, after I run that blind, two more marks are going to go down. So we're going to watch those two. The shortest one is the last one down is this one. I'm going to go get that. So I ran a blind and then four singles in my mind. That single. Then, you know, with the order I wanted to pick them up, that single, that single, and that single, and then I had one more blind. So I just broke down this super comp. I've never again run anything like that since then. It was outside of my IQ range. So I just broke it down into something very simple. And because I ran it that way, my dogs ran it that way. You know, we just did the blind because I said back, and that means we're running a blind. And then we watched all marks go down. And then we went and got one bird at a time. And then we oh ran one more blind. So my dogs were just running the blinds and the singles and the blinds with me. And I was doing that too. If I'd have sat there and kind of noodled that out and got, okay, and put it all complicated, I probably would have messed up. And my dogs would have felt my lack of conviction about the whole thing, my insecurity, and then they would have reflected that because they do that very strongly. So always break whatever even if it's simple or even if it's scary or real complicated or you don't even get what they're doing exactly. Break it down into its little bitty pieces. Pick the order in which you're going to do it. And then just like you are on a training day where you had your wingers out and you had marks and you had blinds and you're just doing all of them one at a time. Do that very same thing. And when you can relax into that, then your dog can relax into that as well. Because if you're not worried, they're not worried. Because it'll be just like in training. Now, there's two things that I want to say here uh, at the end of this. Every day in training, and I said this in the, the one podcast about training by yourself. <clears throat> every t- day in training, no matter what you're doing, little line and drill, you got wingers and blinds out there and you're doing a bunch of singles or you got a big training group whatever it is every training day be perfect and yeah that sounds kind of OCD doesn't it no be as perfect as you can be until perfect becomes your habit so be mindful and perfect you know line up square and straight be accurate Don't talk any more than you have to. Keep this as dog simple as you possibly can. And train every day like you are in your last series of the National. And you want to get through this. Train every day like that. Again, not because you're just an OCD idiot. But because when you're real nervous at a test. When you're real nervous. You can fall into that place that you are all the time. That's what the pros do you know it might be a high liability thing they they really need to get the job done here and you know everything's on the line they got to fall into that thing which brought them there they have to do what they always do and so i'm going to say on that line one of the funny things we used to laugh and joke about it all the time when your people are fairly new you know and there's a triple or something and they're going oh what order should i pick it up it should be the same order you always pick up birds When you're training by yourself, you know, if you're an outside, outside, inside, then do that. If you're, I'm a shortest, last bird down, then the next shortest, then the longer, then go to the longer, longer. The last one is usually a big punch bird. Um, But I always get the last bird down first. So no matter what Joe Superstar in front of me does with his dog, I'm going to do what I always do. Because that's what my dog knows. My dog doesn't know about this guy in front of me. Probably everybody, he picked it up this weird way. Or somebody primary selects and it works. Then everyone's primary selecting. That means not getting the last bird down. But choosing the other birds. You know, choosing for them what they get. Instead of doing what you always do. Some people train that way all the time. Um, Do what got you there. And hopefully in training you do have a thing like that. You do have a way that you do it because that makes it much easier when stuff gets crazy or complicated at a hot test. If you always, you know, we always get the last bird down, you know, or we always, whatever it is, we go on the outside and we Do that no matter what everybody. Oh, you know, I I remember always people standing behind the test dog going, You know what? I'm going to pick up that bird, but I think second, I'm going to go get that. And then you're listening, Hmm, that might be a good idea. I don't ever do that, but that might. And you get all sideways and you lose that conviction that you need when you go to the line that you then pass on to your dog. So I always do, do, unless there's a real compelling reason not to, do what you do in training and and finally on this I'm gonna say okay this is just what I've over a long time I found one cuz I want to be as perfect as I can up there running this dog on this stuff not cuz I don't want to be perfect because I want to be perfect I want to be perfect because I don't want to contribute any negative to this situation I want to only be productive and help this dog do the best job it can so and if you talk to a lot of people, you'll find this too. Like any, you talk to the Olympic athletes, there's a ritual that they develop. And most athletes and competitive people in a lot of things do. You have a ritual, a way that you do things when it's, it's uh, game day. You have a way you do things. And you want to one, establish that ritual and then carry that ritual out. I'm going to just give my opinion here. Hopefully it isn't chatting and talking with people all the time while you're getting ready in the holding mines to run your dog. Um, unless, you know, unless that's just who you are and what you do. I, uh, You know, I, I I just love everybody and I know everybody. But when I'm in the holding mines, don't even come near me. <laughs> and, and don't touch my dog, right? Oh, man, when people do that, it is highly annoying. Don't, when you're in there, it should just be you and your dog. And you two are getting together because it's game day and you're a team and you know if you're chatting with everybody and everyone's petting your dog and then the dogs all get kind of scatterbrained i don't see any advantage to that unless that's what you do then do it but if you have a ritual about how you do stuff and i mean silly rituals i'll say what i can't ever put chapstick on when i'm getting ready to go run a dog i cannot do it will not and i don't care what i cannot put chapstick on i don't even know where that started can't take my whistle out of my shirt until the last Holy Blind. I've had that for decades. Just stuff that gets me, like, and like an athlete getting ready to do something else, that gets you in that that muscle memory place. That place where you always do things right. The perfection that you've been working on and training is right there with you. And so that ritual helps you get into that. So that, in you know, I haven't started. I don't put on the you know the lucky socks <laughs> that morning if, you, if it's that kind of a thing you know there's some people who only wear certain things or only a certain whistle or whatever do that and have a way that you do this stuff and do it that way all the time because literally literally that's a big help because it gets you in that state of mind that you want to be in when you are going and running that dog so that nothing you do takes away from the success only contributes to it. So there's a lot more to going and running finished level things uh, successfully, but between what to do in your training and off season and uh, some of these considerations, the biggest one I want to say is get the whiny crybaby complainants. Oh man, I have a hard time with that because guns aren't going to work. People aren't going to throw perfect. Wingers are going to do something funny. You might get two or three no birds. Teach, you know. Okay, we're not getting the bird. Um, I would never leave the line on a no bird because when I got no birds in training, I'd stay there and we'd pick it up and get everything fixed again. So if they let me, I'd just stay right on the line because that's what I always did. They would have to make me leave um, because my dog is used to that and we're just going to go look at this again unless there was a compelling reason not to. So And if there's noise out there, if any of you, any of you have kids, turn them loose. I don't care. Let the little Shih Tzu run around out there. Another little white thing dog running around that's you know getting it chases them back. Teach them to just do the job that you're there to do, and other stuff just doesn't matter. So that's a big part of that, I think. And it's you know you have to think about that for a while. And your training, you should be perfect in training. Your setup should be as perfect as you can be. And then everything else can just be whatever it is. Preferably sometimes very imperfect. Uh, your throw went farther than everybody else's. Yours was a worm burner. <laughs> went right down by the blind. Run it. Run it. Instead of getting mad at people because they aren't doing things perfect. You are the one that needs to have your dog perfectly ready for that stuff. That's, a, that, that's just highly useful. And then if you get a bad break... You know you're not going to be blaming everybody and if you get a good break you know yay <laughs> so you get the white wing flapper up there you know uh, that's awesome but similarly bad stuff happens take that with equal grace that's just important so that's the one today an hour sorry long one but it's a big topic um and i will be back uh, next week with uh i don't we'll see i got several things going but i hope everybody is healthy happy fall is here Frosts are coming and uh, be safe and have a wonderful hunting season.